rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. All right, so I feel like this is a really good week on the X-Files, and to start off this podcast, I want to ask you, as a fellow lapsed Catholic... Oh, you never finish being Catholic. Very true. Uh, <laughs> is it common for priests to wear makeup? Uh, I don't really... Not in Catholicism. I mean, it's it's certainly a comment on the fellow's vanity i would say uh but yeah no, I, I i i don't believe that you know the majority of priests are wearing stage makeup to deal with lights you know right it it, it seemed like it, it was a very strange detail for revelations to put in there because i think it harkened back to uh an episode like i forget the name of it but the one from the first season with the yeah. revival preacher and the son who was had the ability to raise the dead or whatever and it's more of a mega church kind of thing yeah right i mean like i don't know a lot about non-catholic aka heathen churches but i'm kidding mostly uh but <laughs> it it is the case that like i think it was going for a sort of this is a more showy more show businessy church yeah but and obviously, I mean, he was, you know, with the, the fake uh, stigmata and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know why, because it doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the episode. And it just indicates to me that the X-Files is now just basically uh, making fun of things to make fun of things, which I guess is fine. I don't know, like uh, that kind of a priest doing that kind of a particular show, if he really were Catholic, would probably have some... Uh higher-ups from the church addressing the situation, I guess. Uh, because you're right, that is fairly unusual. But yeah, no, no, that uh, I, I'm with you. I don't know how much of an... Scully's Catholicism is very important. I'm not sure how Catholic the writers of the show really are. I don't know. Is Chris Carter an ex-Catholic or something? I, I have no idea. Because the de- that particular detail does feel like some characters who are ex-Catholic and dealing with that because they feel they are marked forever. I mean, again, that's something that most people who grow up Catholic have as a theme in their life. It's certainly something I have as a theme in my life. And uh, every – I mean, there are the, – the world is lousy with Catholic writers getting that out. So it felt like – it feels like that's some one of Chris Carter's things. I don't know. Yeah, it, it um, certainly could be. And I, I, I do think that – I mean that's probably a good way to, to get into Scully's arc in this episode because, you know, we, we knew I think to some degree that, that she was a Catholic or a Lamps Catholic. And this episode is very, very intent on – uh, you know her spiritual journey through this episode, yeah. and the 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 real realization I think on her part that she is still much more open to the mysteries of spirituality and specifically Catholic spirituality than than she thought she was, and and also that Mulder is is extremely dismissive of it. Yeah, I mean, this episode reminds me of Beyond the Sea in a lot of ways in that it is that role reversal where Mulder seems kind of – it's not exactly that he's out of character, but it seems very strange and almost like 
Scully is extremely frustrated at him because, like, you believe everything else. Why aren't you believing this thing that's so obvious to me? I mean, if even I believe it. Because that's normally Scully's role, right? Scully's the one who says, no, this isn't really that. This isn't really this. But if Scully agrees to something, it's probably true. And so, in other words, the very fact that Scully believes in something to her counts as an imprimatur. Yeah. the fact that he's not recognizing that in this case is very strange to her. Yeah, because I I think that there is there there is a tendency in the show that I think the show is starting to realize and starting to play with a little bit that Mulder's kind of an asshole sometimes, and that yeah. like in Beyond the Sea, I think he's very dismissive of Scully. She's he's very dismissive of her journey in that episode about her experiences with uh, the the serial killer in prison. And he is really playing the Scully role in that episode. And I do not think it's incidental that that is probably the first great or semi-great episode of The X-Files. And then you get this episode, which, again, is very similar to Beyond the Sea, as you said, where Scully keeps saying, you're right, like, look, the, you, you believe all of this crazy bullshit uh, and I'm the one who's always saying, well, you know, maybe it's not true. But then as soon as it transitions over into a much more traditional understanding of the 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 supernatural or a traditional misunderstood traditional understanding of the mysteries of the universe or whatever, that Mulder is extremely dismissive of it and that Mulder's. To, to a degree which seems not out of character for Mulder necessarily because he probably is is you know i don't know if he would be around now he might be on like reddit talking about men's huh. rights or something but it, you know it's that he doesn't he wants well there's an atheist well i would be very surprised if Mulder believed in god i think he is the kind of person who would see religion as a barrier to the truth again Mulder's Mulder's morality is centered around the re- revelation of truth. Yeah. And he, he you know, for, for Mulder, based on all the decisions, the one that will enlighten people is the right decision. And I think he can feel that religion would be covering those truths. He would probably be a religion's the opiate of the masses kind of guy. He would probably love Dawkins, you know. He would be one of those kind of – for for – Somebody – Mulder is somebody who believes that the government is a secretive organization with its own rules and its own in arcane traditions that is, you know, hiding things from people. He would feel the same way about the church. I, I mean, yes. I, to, to some degree, I, 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 I agree with you. And I think that, that you know, I, part, part of that is my own personal journey because, like, you know, speaking as a recovering asshole atheist yeah. who, like, would read – like, I remember – when I was I went to a Catholic all boys high school, and I remember being in the lunch in the cafeteria, uh, eating my lunch alone because that is what I did uh, <laughs> until I started hanging out with like the the band uh, the you know like the the band uh, burnout people um, in like the eleventh grade that uh, I was sitting around reading books like Atheism: The Case Against God in an all boys <laughs> Catholic school you know because I was I knew what I was doing right and I wasn't stupid and. Um, and I think that there is a, there definitely is that that undercurrent to Mulder as well. Uh, I do not subscribe to that brand of atheism anymore. I mean, I, I still consider myself an atheist, but I, uh, you know, very loosely because I don't really, I don't really care anymore. Uh, which I well, guess is also, a sign of personal growth, but whatever. 
you're the kind of atheist who you feel that, you know, it's just as rude to be telling, you know, you don't, you know, God is a sham, right? You know, you're being lied to. Yeah, That's just as rude as have you heard the word of our Lord Jesus Christ? You know, it's, it's, it's just as proselytizing is, is rude and wrong. And whether you're an atheist or whether you're a devout believer i don't like missionaries in general anyway yeah I, yeah i agree with you and i think that, that, that for Mulder, though what's so strange about it is that he has respected the the religious beliefs of a lot of other people and yes okay you could make the argument that he's punching up because catholicism is this huge cultural force in the world and has done a lot of really 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 terrible things from a position of strength in the name of God. And I am not discounting any of that for sure. And that, and that, you know, Catholicism was instrumental in trying to subvert and crush the rise of the scientific method and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, Sure. That's fine. And I think that that's appropriate, but at the same time, he has, like speaking in this episode where Scully is saying, well, look, you know, you've got these uncorruptible things. And he's like, yeah. whatever, the uncorruptibles. That's like some, you know, sheep herders in, you know, fourth century <laughs> Israel that are just like idiots. And they wrote this shit down. But, and but at the same time, like if you think about an episode like Shapes, for instance, he was like, yeah, like there's werewolves <laughs> because yeah. of the Native American beliefs about blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, so it, it's a little strange to me. Yeah. I mean, e- e- even this is a show in which they have met a fellow who can stretch his body and who eats seven livers every 30 years or something like that. I mean, it, they can believe that, well, you know, whether or not it's divine, you know, these people's bodies chemistry, these people's body chemistry was in such a way. I mean, he does sort of say that about uh, Owen, what's his name? You know, this guy is, what do you say? Like, he, he had an unusual body and life of course his death would be unusual yeah which seems like kind of a cop-out you know what i mean yeah. it's a little i don't necessarily think that that would be the case but whatever yeah 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 i don't know but i i do think that there is uh, is it the treatment of owen is a, is problematic yeah in general and we can talk about him if you have more to say but but i, I think that what it comes down to for me is that when the X-Files decides to turn the tables on the believer-unbeliever question, it it's not a good look for Mulder. It, it's, it's a fine yeah. look for Scully because I think that Scully's challenging of Mulder in 95% of the episodes of the X-Files is done respectfully and appropriately because she is pushing him to better think through his theories and and push him to actually have evidence instead of just assuming that whatever he's spinning whatever theory he's spinning out is true but when the shoe is on the other foot and when the roles are reversed Mulder doesn't know how to play that role to Scully and and it also yeah. is the case that that what Scully is believing seems to be more often than not things which Mulder has a deep revulsion to that he can't get over. Yeah. It's not like he's challenging her, her arguments or her faith in order to push her to something that's a little more solid, but because no, you're wrong. That's not real. 
Right. And and it's like where you know where where is Scully supposed to take that? And I think it's it's interesting that Scully gets. I mean, I think Scully is actually uh, uh hurt by this and and, and offended. Yeah. I mean, I think that especially towards the end of the episode, you know, when she very exasperatedly, I think, she basically says exactly that to Mulder, like, "Why aren't you believing me? Like I do this all the yeah. time and you just kind of are just, you know, being an asshole to me right now." I you know, I I don't know that that is a that is a through line to the show that culminates in, I think, one of the best episodes of the show. Uh, <laughs> so we will get to that in a couple okay. seasons. But, but I mean, she, you know, when she goes to the priest at the end, I mean, she she's directly saying, you know, I would normally talk to my coworker about these things. Like we, that's normally who I run this to, but I can't talk to him about this because, you know, she is at a point where she, Again, normal. Normally, it's Mulder and Scully against the world, and they can, the two of them can bounce any idea of each other. They are on the same team, no matter what. And she has found that this is the one area in which they will they may never see eye to eye. She can never get an answer for him on spiritual questions that he will be on the level that will be at all helpful to her. I mean, basically, all of the. You know, she's asking some deep spiritual questions. She's asking some deep questions about the nature of reality as taught to her and whether or not, you know, she is seeing things which are making her feel like maybe the things she was taught were right. And what does that mean? And he's making fun of her. He's shooting her down. I mean, the only person she can talk to in the end is this priest. Yeah, because I I, I think that that for for scully i mean i think it's not it's an important detail that uh you know it's been six years since her last confession that would have been like two or three years before she got assigned to the x-files even so so her being a a lapsed catholic is not something that uh was formed by her experiences on the x-files this is something that had been going on for for a while before that yeah and and i mean that's just since she went last went to confession she was probably in practice or even in med school, she probably wasn't going very often at that point either, maybe just at Christmas, and then she stopped going at Christmas kind of thing. It, it, right, exactly, and I think that the episode does make that point. I, I don't know how often most practicing Catholics actually go to confession, but anyway, uh, confession, like most things that have to do with Catholicism, is extremely weird and problematic and patriarchal, but anyway, uh, we don't need to get into a discussion of Catholicism. <laughs> uh, that... It, I don't know. It's 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 hard to talk about because Scully is so invested in what's going on in this episode, and she is having a spiritual awakening. And this episode is really all about Scully and her spiritual awakening. And yet, she cannot talk to Mulder about any of this because Mulder yeah. fundamentally does not respect th- those beliefs. And I mean, to the show's credit and to this episode's credit, it it goes there and it it honors the the fact that Mulder is kind of being a dick and the fact that Scully is going through a very difficult time and yeah. that she is acting perhaps irrationally. Uh, but at the end of the episode, you're left with this question of, you know, it doesn't really resolve what happened. We, we don't know who this serial killer guy really is. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't know who Kevin is. We don't know who Owen is. And we're left with questions of because I think what re- what it really comes down to is something like uh, One Breath, for example, right, where you made the really astute mm. point when we talked about that episode that the X-Files is a show that if it shows you an angel, the angel is real and that 
in in the world of the X Files, the the Judeo Christian God is is real and exists and and acts in the world, and we have seen that before. And then in this episode, it seems like that is also happening, although we don't have any clear evidence of that one way or the other. But you know, it is the case that you have to take this at face value because so much of what we've seen in this show so far has proven to be true. I think the episode almost goes into it not necessarily mattering in a way. I mean, the, the whether or not it's a hunch that she goes on that happens to be right, you know, that what matters is that, or or it's, you know, God leading her, what matters is that at the end she did save the child, and um, I think she's trying to. I mean, I, and may, maybe it doesn't. I mean, maybe that is why she's left in a state of spiritual chaos because she needs to know: was this, is there a divine plan? Is this all going to make sense? Is Chris Carter going to lead us into a resolution of this plot? Um, is there a meaning to all of these events? Is she? being placed there by something deeper. And I think she's beginning... I mean, she certainly leaves the episode with the possibility that, no, there is a deeper hand behind all of this. You know, she says at one point, I believe that, you know, you can see the hand of God in, in you know through works on Earth, but I don't think she believes it at that point as much as she does at the end of this episode. Yeah, I think that's right, but I also think that this is the beginning of that journey and not the oh, end. Yeah. And I, I, I think that you know what we have seen it, not even in this episode necessarily, although it's part of this episode, but but Scully's journey throughout the, the X-Files is is a journey of opening her mind to extreme possibilities. If the more religious things are part of that, that's how she's getting into this then I think that that's okay. Like I, you know, I, I, I like to see Scully opening her mind up to things like this. And, you know, Scott, and I mean, to be clear, like, I think that Scully is representing in, in a certain sense, the, the good parts of a, a, a faith in a religion. Yeah. And I think that's good to see. And maybe Mulder will be beaten down by that at some point. I don't know, but, I don't know. Scully is a very, very interesting character. <laughs> I'm finding this a very hard episode, incidentally, to talk about because it is hitting close to home in a lot of ways. Again, just on my background, but yeah, this is a very Richard went around murdering people for a few years. So after I went to Jerusalem, yeah, it was, it was a very dark time in my life. Um, also, I saw that movie Stigmata at one point, and I've never quite in, quite gotten over it. Um, I mean, the show does seem to have a – I don't uh, – because this and the whole alien mythology thing do feel like two sides of the same coin to me. There is both – and whether or not Mulder and Scully agree on the details, uh, I think they are both taking two interpretations of what truth is. Um, I think that – you know, God and the aliens might be metaphors for each other in their way. Um, and both of them do believe that the, I mean, her, her that line at the end, you know, I'm very afraid that God is speaking and no one is listening. Uh, Mulder is very afraid that, you know, 
this government conspiracy to hide aliens or whatever does exist and no one will, no one cares. I mean they, they in both cases – again, both cases feel the need for the truth. Um, Scully is more about the internal search for the truth, the one that takes place within, and Mulder is more concerned with the external truth, but both are two halves of the same. I, yeah, I think so because I mean the other the other part of that, of course, is that that you know as you say, this is a very personal uh, journey for Scully. But but I think that the, the search for Mulder's truth is also a personal journey for him. And mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if it's necessarily a, a good look for Mulder to be so. I don't know what the word is, but Mulder believes that his person Mulder knows he's the protagonist is in, in a lot of ways. Like he knows that yeah. this is just Scully's having a monster of the week episode and she's going to do whatever and she better not get too distracted because at some point we're going to have a conspiracy episode and that's what things are really about. Which is something that the next episode plays around with very explicitly, but we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, I think that's right because I mean, one of my notes that I wrote down for this episode is, you know, sort of like she goes into Mulder's office and he's like, "Well, yeah, this thing is happening," and and she's like, "What?" And one of the notes I wrote down was like, "Scully never knows what Mulder is working on. Like, what does she do all day?" Uh, <laughs> like, I mean, I get the sense that she comes in later than he does. Like, maybe she's coming in at eight thirty, but he's been there since five. Uh, you know, I think and, I think Mulder tends to sleep in his office. Yeah, so you know she she not that you know she isn't going to work twenty four hours a day if she needs to, but she also if she has the opportunity to get home and come in at a reasonable time on Monday, she's going to do that. You know, and so yeah, I, I do think she's come in and he's just been struck by this thing for three hours, and she's at the well. I'll let him deal with the crazy sorting of the news, and then when I come in, like, I, I, I don't want to be there for the crazy news sorting part of the day. Yeah, I, I suppose that's true, yeah. Um, I found the moment towards the end when, you know, she says, oh, well, maybe I'll see you again to the boy. He's like, don't worry, you will, like... That's the boy's the beginning of this poor boy's sexual awakening, right? Like he is going to be attracted to redheads for the rest of his life. I love the face you've had you're making. I don't know if I agree with you. <laughs> I think maybe yes or no, depending on the day. How much you want to think about the sexual awakening of small children? Well, no, we'll he's not a there. small children anymore. Isn't he like 12? I guess that's not and a the, small child. I was going to say, and this episode was, you know, 20 years ago, so. Oh, so he's dead Legal. Now. Oh, he's legal. <laughs> oh, you and I went in very different directions with that. <laughs> he's uh, legally dead. He's legally dead. He's legally dead and legally blonde. Okay. Uh, well, I think we'll move on to War of the Coprophages, but uh, before we do that, I, I just want to take a quick opportunity to remind all of you that tuning in is listener-supported. If you would like to give us a little bit of money, you can go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. Uh, we have some nice reward tiers there. One of the tiers you may find interesting is if you give us $4 a month or more, you will get early access to both Truckabout and tuning in episodes one week early. You can find out our thoughts on episodes before the unwashed masses. So go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and give now. All right, let's talk about some cockroaches. 
I made so many notes for this episode. <laughs> so uh, this is another Darren Morgan script. This is uh, his second to last one for the X-Files, sadly oh. enough. Actually, no, that's not true. Uh, well, second to last in the original run of the show he wrote one for the 10th season okay. of the show i think he's writing one for the 11th season of the show which oh, is wow. actually happening uh so we, um, will, we will never be done with the x-files with the title i had the idea it was one of his when they had this opening monologue with the exterminator talking about i knew it was one of his so uh i i think i want to start this off by talking about that monologue and then talking about Mulder's. Vo- well, not voiceover, but his his report writing at the end of the episode. Yeah. Well, that's the entire theme of the episode, so it is a pretty good through line. But yeah, yeah, it's a pretty good through line. But it's also, I think that that on a on a meta level, on a production level, it is amazing to me that that Chris Carter was secure enough in his writing or career or whatever uh, to have a staff writer on his show completely eviscerate his writing style like that. <laughs> Because that's what he was doing. That's what Darren Morgan was doing there. That yes, oh, the, the, yeah. the speeches are important for thematic reasons, and he's not just putting that in there to make fun of Chris Carter's writing style, but he's also doing that. Well, it's it's a it feels like a very it's a parody of that writing style that kind of likes that writing style too, though. Because yeah. there is you know no matter how. E- birthing way healing what was the beginning of this episode the blessing way the blessing way again as cheesy as those sequences were there is something really cool about you know having deep throat just ramble vaguely philosophically for a little while like it just sounds cool you know a a a well-delivered monologue just on an oral level is is wonderful and I mean, as ridiculous and hilarious as especially the punchline of the Exterminator's monologue, you know, I don't know, I just kill him is, I mean, it's still a cool thing to listen to. I think that's, you can both make fun of the pretentiousness and appreciate the technique. And I, again, I think that's why the Darren Morgan episodes work that well, because they are skewering the X-Files, which is a show that he likes and respects at the same time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. And I, I think that's exactly what he's doing, that you could not make fun of the X-Files in, in such a successful way if you did not also deeply respect the show. And I, I would say that War of the Coprophages is the the it's the closest the I think it's the closest or the complete culmination of Darren Morgan's telling an x-files type story while at the same time subverting all of its tropes uh jose chung's from outer space which is the last one he writes which is towards the end of this season i think probably does more of that but it's also a little bit a traditional than than this story is this is a very sort of monster of the weekish type story uh that is taking place in quote unquote real time so that that's uh i think that's more of what where, where that's going but i don't know i think that the monologue, I mean, the monologue at the beginning of the episode, for example, I think is you're right. Like, it's all of those things. It's really good to listen to. Darren Morgan likes this type of writing style. And he's also, t- you know, slightly making fun of Chris Carter's penchant for grandiose, mm. uh, uh, you know, philosophizing monologues. But I think Darren Morgan is also really interested in a, as a writer in the artificiality of television. Yeah. 
And I love the fact that he is really highlighting the artificiality of the dialogue in any television mm. show. Uh, you know, through this really interesting technique of having this guy who we don't even know who he is at the beginning of the episode give this really, really impassioned, lovely monologue about the cockroach and then completely just undercutting it with that other line of dialogue. I mean, the artificiality of television, I think this I mean, there there is that hilarious moment when they have the bug crawl across the screen um again we were talking the other week about x-files as a very postmodern show as a show about itself um and yeah i i i think this is i mean this is the weirdest take on the alien plot line that we've ever had and that's saying a lot given some of the episodes we've seen um it's what I mean, the roboticist statement that, you know, why would we think that they would be living beings? We're sending out machines to space. I mean, that makes the most sense just on a quality of life, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, And that does undercut the entire premise of the show that we are being visited by flesh and blood aliens. Um, And I think at this point in the show's run, you you can get away with that because we don't know what's going on. Right. And and maybe it is the fact that these aliens don't actually exist. And this is all a government conspiracy. We, We don't know. And but at the same time, Darren Morgan is doing something even deeper than that, which is. He is, A, of course, making fun of the concept of the show. Yeah. Uh, B, I think he's also, frankly, he's calling the audience like a little stupid for buying into this. <laughs> uh, but he's also, you know, he's also calling Mulder kind of stupid for buying into this. And, you know, I, I keep going back to that scene with Mulder and, and the scientist uh, who is such a, a bizarre and striking character? Um, not not f- the the scientist who who has something wrong with his uh, Stephen Hawking. Co- yeah, the Steve. Yeah, the Stephen Hawking character. No, um, I don't think he's anyway. Yeah, that you know he's he's obviously Mulder is not spinning out these theories, but everyone is aware that he has them, which I think is a really interesting <laughs> thing. And what I mean by that is. You know, uh, uh, Dr. Berenbaum Bambi uh, says similar things to Mulder. The the other doctor says very similar things to Mulder. But he is not saying any of this to them. He's not theorizing his crazy theories to them. They're aware of it because they've watched the X-Files. And and in a way, I think their theories about what's going on are even crazier. Yeah, I I mean, yeah. They all seem to have their theories about aliens, and they're all very weird, especially within the world of the show. But, um, I mean, even as a a microcosm of the show's theme as a whole, I think Morgan recognizes that, at least based on what we've last seen from the metaplot, I don't know when the—what the last metaplot that he had checked into before writing this episode was, but— the last we saw, it might be these scientists doing horrible experiments on on, al- on innocent aliens who are just here to visit, and, um, you know, humanity is the real monster. Well, in this episode, the cockroaches are either just swarms of cockroaches, which are natural in this area, plus there are also, if they are alien craft, they're essentially just cameras. Everything is very innocuous, and it's just people scaring themselves and causing riots just based on their own panic. 
Right. Yeah. Because there's, there, I mean, there's just so much to unpack here. I mean, I think that the scene with Scully showing up and everyone is freaking yeah. the fuck out. Of course, is is Exhibit A for that. But but I also think a smaller part of that is 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 you know Bambi, who we <laughs> we need to talk about Bambi. But uh, the fact that she has this this theory about what UFOs actually are, and it seems like a very reasonable theory but at the same time it is something that is undercutting the reality of the show and it's something that makes Mulder feel incredibly stupid yeah but I mean it is something that we also have to deal with the real world level which is that I mean in the real world I can I don't know if this insect swarm theory that she has is based on any reality but I could see I could see UFO sightings being closer to some kind of natural phenomenon along those lines that's just poorly understood rather than a craft of aliens visiting. Yeah, absolutely, but I think at the same time the the deeper level of that is you know, this episode is playing around with the idea uh, of of Scully as a sexual object because Scully has said very similar things to what Bambi is saying. And yeah. You know, she has said, oh, well, it could be swamp gas. It could be this. It could be that. And Mulder's always like, whatever, swamp gas, come on. <laughs> but when Bambi is saying it in her Lara Croft getup, uh, he's very, very interested in this theory. <laughs> and he is not poo-pooing it. I mean, there is even the part when he's saying, you know, he's saying, to him, oh, yes, I'm fascinated by bugs. And then, you know, he confesses to Scully, no, I hate bugs. Like, they're the worst. And, you know, he's obviously still a kid with a crush at that point. I, what I, yeah, but I, what I, I think what, what this is all sort of, of, of kind of hinting at the edges of is, you know, we've seen, this is the third Darren Morgan script we've seen, as we said, we the humbug and, and, uh, Clyde Bruckman's final repose being the other two. And I think that this episode is the most postmodern, the most self-referential, the most fourth wall breaking. And I will pose this question to you on, on, on a fundamental level. Do you think this, do you think the show holds up with that sort of scrutiny or that sort of, a structure for an episode do, does this work and do you think that this destroys the show or not i think this show has a very different understanding of what is and what is not canon than shows today are being made and i frankly kind of like I- even if this is messing up with all of the continuity of this we can also take darren morgan as and in a special imaginary episode by Darren Morgan, like, if it doesn't quite fit in, well, it's a weirdo Darren Morgan episode. They can do that. It doesn't necessarily need to jot in with those. Each episode can kind of stand on its own merits. Um, it's not quite an anthology show, but in episodes like this, it comes fairly close. Well, yeah, and I think that, I mean, this is something that, I, that, I've, that I've said before, but, but it's another opportunity to, to say it. Is that that is one of the things that I think is uh, that's one of the things that is the strongest about standalone television is that you can not even change the plot, but you can change the tone in a way that you just can't now. You know, uh, Game of Thrones could not do this kind of episode because for for a variety of reasons. And it's a shame, I think, that you you limit this sort of tonal shift to to anthology shows now. 
Uh, and I, well, you know, not even to that degree, because I think that there aren't even really that many anthology TV shows that are anthologies in the way that like Twilight Zone is, right? Where yes. each, each episode is a different tone and a completely different story. Something and, like American Horror Story is a season long thing. Yeah. Right. But like American Horror Story as each episode is very tonally, wildly different. And yes, I mean, I understand like that's very difficult to pull off. I mean, I think that maintaining a consistent tone throughout a television show is a difficult thing to do. But I also think that that pulling off very, very different tones in each different episode of the show or a few different ones and you rotate in and out as the X-Files does at this point, that's also very difficult to do, but it's difficult for a different way. But, you know, this episode, War of the Coperphages, I think, is a really, really good example that the X-Files, like, this is a, this is a very, like, if I had shown you this episode after the pilot, like, yeah, what, what, would, would, you, what would you even have thought about it? Like, it, it would, ma- it would, I don't think it would have fundamentally made any sense to you. What, I, well, what I was about to say is that, yeah, all, I mean, I'm, the episode is split in the show is split into mythology and the monster of the week. The mythology all have a fairly similar tone. Certainly, if you had shown me Nisei after the pilot, for example, it would be a lot. But if you're watching all the mythology episodes together, there is a through line. You can see it developing into that. It all has a fairly consistent tone, uh, a fairly consistent level of seriousness and paranoia and all of that. In the Monster of the Week episodes, it's almost like anything goes, and that's where they are able to get experimental. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I think that that it is the case that... I mean, for example, like I love the fact that this episode is playing around with the form of Monster of the Week stories, where you have Mulder going off and, and looking at each one of these bodies and calling Scully, <laughs> which is something that's happened before. And yeah. every time... And this is the, the, the brilliance of Darren Morgan scripts, is that he is not averse to piling jokes on top of each other. And, I mean, this, I think, is the, the funniest of his scripts, and I think, well, that we've seen yeah. so far. Because I don't think Clyde Bruckman's Final Word pose was funny. Certainly it had funny no. moments, and there were humorous moments in it, but it was not intended to be a comedy episode. Whereas yeah, It's this kind is, of a Tears of a Clown episode, in a way. Right. Where, whereas this is definitely intended to be a comedy episode. And... I think the fact that we can say an X-Files comedy episode, you, that shows you yeah. how far we've come in, you know, in the two and a half seasons we've talked about the show so far. But even the case that like every time Mulder calls Scully, she's doing some other wacky, weird thing. Yeah. And, and it really gives you because one of the things that I like about this episode so much is that it gives you a very, very interesting look at the personal Saturday night of Dana <laughs> Scully. Yeah, I mean, she's we get the dog again. Uh, she's eating ice cream from the container. You know, she's just she's cleaning her gun. <laughs> yeah, she's just doing very normal things for her, and it's it's. And I like how amused she is at like Mulder's having this really kind, probably a stupid adventure. And again, given that the episode ultimately says that the spiraling of the investigation is really one of the things that added to the situation coming out of control. Like, I don't know. Would Mulder have been better if he just stayed home, cleaned his gun, and, uh, you know, washed his dog? Right, because there there is... Well, let's not go there, but... I, I, I am phrasing things very particularly at this moment. I... What I will say is that 
If you think about the events of this episode in a framework that is not a Darren Morgan episode, he is showing you that most X-Files episodes are exactly like this, only they don't make it explicit. And they, they, mm. they actually try and hide the fact that they're not really giving you any sort of information or closure. And what I mean by that is people die. Well, like what fundamentally happens in this episode? People die. People see some cockroaches. And then the episode ends. There's really no resolution for it. And there's this other weird thing about some cockroaches being robots or something. But that never goes anywhere. And they don't have any evidence of it. It's just, you know, whatever. Uh, That's very similar to a lot of X-Files episodes, both standalone and mythology. But it it doesn't – and it's making fun of that, I think. But it's also saying something very particular about episodic television. I mean, yeah, about the only people who get anything out of this adventure are Bambi and Stephen Hawking. And, you know, that that that's – we're left with a, well, okay, good – for them that was that we got covered in manure but all right they got together sure um (laughs) i mean i again i like that because just a again this is a comedy episode what's gonna undercut this you know more than anything nothing happens and you know Mulder doesn't even get to make out with the cute scientist (laughs) yes but I, I, you know, but I think that, that calling it a comedy episode is is is. All, I mean, it certainly is a comedy episode, but it, but it's also in a way doing a disservice to the episode because well, it it's like it's doing a lot of stuff that is not apparent. I think if you don't really think about the episode, and I mean, I would say, I mean, this is certainly not a comparison that that is new, but I think that Darren Morgan and Charlie Kaufman perhaps have a lot in common mm. in the ways in which they approach the the you know the the ways in which they uh, write their scripts and the ways in which they approach writing drama for instance and and i think that they're they're able to go places that are so weird primarily because they completely understand i mean i think if darren morgan wanted to write just like a regular episode of the x-files he could do it oh yeah but that would not be interesting to him like he he's he's operating on a different plane well, I think they use the comedy to hide a lot of the extraordinary darkness in this episode. I mean, the what it, what we really see of the riot is this scene in the convenience store and, you know, everybody fighting over the die bug die and, you know, the sailor stealing pantyhose and chocolate bars and she eats the – like, it's a very funny scene, but then contrast it to – but that's one of the two stories that the – Sheriff mentioned was looted, and there were these car accidents, and there were fires, and, you know, domestic assaults as a result of this panic from this, and it's very clear that, you know, yes, we watch it, it's funny, but this is actually really serious, like, this is dark, people did die, even though it was just through no malicious means, you know, it was allergic reactions and heart attacks people did die as a result of this yeah and i think that that's the other part of it too is that Mulder and scully 
don't really do anything in this episode. And and th- this is kind of a commentary on the type of episode where Mulder and Scully don't really do anything. You know, <laughs> Mulder is, is yeah. running around from place to place and hitting on Bambi and, and Scully is at her house doing various Saturday night activities and then driving up to Massachusetts. But at the end of the day, they, they don't solve anything and they don't save any lives because actually someone dies because Mulder gets involved. I mean, the, the, yeah, again, the, the they, factory blows up because Mulder's there. Part of the, in the news report, they mention, oh, there's a federal invest, agent investigating, which adds to the panic. Scully in the, in, in the store, I mean, everybody who runs out of the store is going to say, oh my God, it was crazy. And then a federal agent showed up and then suddenly insects exploded out of everywhere and she couldn't get it under control. I mean, that's going to add to the panic. You know, maybe they even make the situation a little worse by just escalating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think that that I mean the other thing too, of course, is that I I wonder about like I wonder if if like the X Files Darren Morgan doesn't stick with the show and like do you think this would be diminishing returns? Do you think that the show could keep doing this type of episode and have it be fresh and new and interesting and keep it up because I think you can get away with this sometimes. And this is certainly something that the show does get away with sometimes, even not written by Darren Morgan. Uh, You know, Darren Morgan leaves, but comedy episodes of the X-Files continue, but they're never as good as this. I mean, they're different. I, well, I won't even say that they're not as good. I just think they're different. Okay. I like Darren Morgan's worldview in a lot of ways. I like the characters that he writes and, I can see him do I would l- like to see his exper- aggressive experimentalism maybe even out a little bit. Like I would like to see what a normal Darren Morgan episode is because it would have very memorable characters and would have a very interesting plot and you know maybe if he w- I don't know not that I'm saying you know I wish he tried less but what did he what has he <laughs> done after this? Uh he was I mean as far, as far as I know he wrote a couple of episodes of Millennium. Uh mm-hmm. do you remember that show? No, but I know it's Chris Carter's follow-up, right? Well, it's not really a follow-up. It was on at the same time as okay. the X-Files. But anyway, uh, he wrote a, saw it. Yeah, he wrote a couple episodes of that. He was um, on a couple of other shows briefly. He was attached to the Kolchak the Night Stalker reboot hmm. that never went anywhere um, or it got canceled after a few episodes. Um, yeah, I mean, he works, but it's not like he, he didn't create. He never created his own show. Yeah. Uh, like, and maybe that's it. I would be very interested to see a Darren Morgan created show, one where he could fix his own tone. But at the same time, maybe he is really good at just figuring out another sh- what another show is really about. Yeah, I think. Well, I think t- I have two thoughts about that. I think that that number one is I don't know if he would be good at creating a show because, uh, well, Twin Peaks, for example, like. I don't think that show hangs together very well because it's a very particular type. It's a very particular point of view and it doesn't really, you can't sustain that sort of thing. And so Darren Morgan, I think his strengths really lie in working on other shows and figuring them out and in writing scripts that are, are showing us exactly how the show works. And the other part is that I don't, 
I don't know if you need to see this all the time. Like, mm. it's enough that we get glimpses of this sort of thing every once in a while. You know, I don't know if Darren Morgan had stuck with the X-Files for the rest of its run, yeah. if that would have been edifying. I think that he, you know, in a way, he's sort of a guy that, that comes in, does his thing, and then leaves. I don't know that he's really interested yeah. in long-term commitments. <laughs> I can see a little going a long way. It's true. And... I mean, the fact that they have four, he has four episodes, and again, I'm not, I don't know about Jose Chung's From Outer Space, but the three episodes I've seen so far have been wonderful, have been such standouts, and, you know, part of me is saying, oh, it's sad there's only four of them, but, you know, maybe it's good that there's four brilliant episodes. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I will just say this about Jose Chung's From Outer Space, um... It features Charles Nelson Riley. If that gives you any indication of what kind I of I don't episode. know who he is. You don't know who Charles Nelson Riley is. Come on, I man. know the name. I just can't picture him or anything he's been in. Match game, very no. very gay man. I'm a very very gay man. Not as gay as Charles Nelson Riley. I'll tell you about it off the mic. What uh, what he who he reminds me of. Uh, all right. Well. <laughs> I think that's it for this episode of the podcast. If you have any thoughts on either of these episodes, please leave a comment on the post at tuninginshow.com. As I said before, you can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. This week, we continued our Star Trek Discovery weekly coverage by talking about the third episode of that show. We don't know what it's called yet, but we will by the time that episode is released, which was this week for you. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tuning In Show is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for tuning in. It is the best way for new people to find the show. Next week, we are going to be talking about the episodes, and I don't know how to pronounce this, so I apologize in advance. Sizigi? Sizigi. And grotesque. Grizigi. Mac, why do you...